And when, however reverently, you have killed the word, you have also, as far as in you lay, blotted from the human mind the thing that word originally stood for, men do not long continue to think what they have forgotten how to say. Hello folks, and welcome back to another episode of Food for Thought. This is your host, Jonathan Coots, as always. And a quick reminder, if you guys have been enjoying these episodes, this uh, podcast, this information, uh, these ideas, please leave ratings and reviews on Spotify or iTunes and uh, share these episodes if you find value in them. If you do, let me know. If you don't, also let me know so I can uh, improve myself and make these a little bit better. Now, that said, let's get into the episode today. Today, we will be finally doing a part two to storytelling, but we're not talking about the beginnings of stories or how to write stories or the end of stories or the middle of stories. We're talking about the value, the importance of storytelling. And the reason that I wanted to use a C.S. Lewis quote is for many reasons. One, C.S. Lewis is an amazing philosopher, an amazing theoretician. He is a classic of ideas and Christian values. And he used his gifts, his philosophies, and he conveyed those ideas through the medium of storytelling. And I'm about to read Another quote by C.S. Lewis uh, that I also found extremely, extremely valuable. Let me just pull it up here. This is on mythology, and here's what he has to say about it. And I found this also extremely enlightening. The value of the myth is that it takes all the things we know and restores them to the rich significance which had been hidden by the veil of familiarity. The child enjoys his cold meat, otherwise dull to him, by pretending it is buffalo, just killed with his own bow and arrow. And the child is wise. The real meat comes back to him more savory for having been dipped in a story by putting bread, gold horse, apple, or the very roads into a myth. We do not retreat from reality. We rediscover it. That is what C.S. Lewis had to say upon the topic of mythology. And you can see this in his own stories. If you look at the Chronicles of Narnia, he incorporates these ideas into those stories, and then he sprinkles familiar myths on them. We have the satyrs and the fauns, and we have the griffins and the phoenixes, and then we have the witch, the evil person, and then we have the boys and the kids of the stories that are really what the story is about, is what is happening to them. They are the main characters. But he conveys these ideas in the format of mythology and in the format of these stories that have endured with us for generations now and still been top sellers in all these bookstores. They are still these fanciful ideas that every kid loves to read about Narnia. And it is for no other reason 
then he told it in amazing stories. He told these stories and conveyed these ideas in a way that enraptured generations of children and still enraptures them all the time. There is a reason why mythologies have endured for so long. And there is also a difference between mythology and folklore and old wives' tales. And we're going to explore that in a minute, but a quick example is the idea of Baba Yaga. Uh, Baba Yaga is a mythological character, or a folklorish character, more specifically, um, from the Russian northern Germanic um, region of the world. And Baba Yaga is where we get the idea of the boogeyman. And in that, there is no intrinsic value other than a good quote-unquote story, just an entertainment value. Um, there's no meaning to be derived from those stories. Now, a mythology, on the other hand, they are very different because they convey a specific meaning. They convey ideas in the form of these stories. C.S. Lewis created a new mythology in that of Narnia. And out of Narnia, we can take these hidden meanings that are rather poorly hidden, which is the point of a story. It is a barely veiled concept or idea, a theology, a philosophy, wrapped up in a story so that it can be remembered. Because like I read that quote in the introduction, if you forget the word, you don't remember it. Men don't remember or don't think about or don't care about words that they've forgotten about. They don't know the meaning behind the words. They forget the meanings and then they don't care about them. They don't go through the attempts to rediscover them. So mythologies are then this idea, these stories that convey wisdom. Just as in many Greek myths, there are wisdoms hidden in them. One of the best examples that I have in um, previous history is the idea of the Hydra being this fearsome, fearsome beast, this powerful beast that it took Hercules, this amazing hero, to be able to beat. And the meaning behind the Hydra, the idea behind the Hydra, the concept that backs up, that created the Hydra, is that of becoming anti-fragile, in which a whole book was written about, a phenomenal book, about the difference between a phoenix and a hydra. A phoenix is robust, which means it does not take on damage. Every time it is killed, it is reborn exactly the same. But every time a hydra is maimed, wounded, or injured, one of its heads chopped off, not only does it grow back, but it grows back too, and it becomes more fearsome, more powerful, it becomes better. Hence, we, as humans, should attempt to become anti-fragile. We should attempt to become better every time we are injured. We have this in our own bodies. When we shave, as a man or woman, in fact, uh, it grows back thicker. When we exercise, our muscles break down microscopically, but then build back thicker. Everything in our body is designed to be anti-fragile. So too should our minds be, and that is the part that is lacking. We have rather fragile minds and egos, and we should attempt to eliminate those from our lives. We should attempt to become anti-fragile. 
That is a meaning, a concept, an idea hidden in myth. We have many more examples of this, like actually the idea of the phoenix being robust. We should attempt for that too, but we should strive to become even better like the Hydra. These mythological creatures show us these histories, these ideas, these wisdoms wrapped in stories so that they may be preserved throughout time. Another example, Jesus. Um... He spoke always in these proverbs, but in these parables. He told myths, he told stories to help people remember what he was saying. And it took a little bit of thinking to understand the meaning, but when you have to do that, you remember these ideas even better. And we remember these parables like no one else. We, we remember them more than any of the other wisdoms or, or the Psalms. We don't remember all of the Psalms, but we all know the story of the sower, the story of the ten talents. All of the parables that he told, we recall them because they are wrapped in the form of stories. There's a reason why the wisest man that ever roamed the world, the very Son of God himself, told all of his messages, all of his wisdoms, he wrapped them up in stories because they convey meaning. They convey the soul of the words themselves better than any other format. They have an intrinsic value to them. There's many, many reasons why stories are being told. One of them, the first one that we've been talking about just now, is you remember them better when you tell them as a story. You remember these ideas more profoundly when you tell them as a story. So, stories can transcend generations. We just discussed this. We discussed that people remember stories better, um, ideas better when they're told as stories. They transcend generations and can help us understand what things were like in the past. We discussed this in my whole first episode on the interpretation of mythology. Stories also do something else though. They also teach us morals and they are a guide of, of principles that have been passed down from generation to generation. Uh, similarly to how mythologies do this, they uh, are shared orally. Most uh, mythologies that we know today were originally um, orally recited down, um, and they were presented to kings and told to children, just like uh, many Native American stories were just passed down generation to generation. And these formats helped people remember. They helped them to stick with the audience, the intended audience, for years and years and then generations to generations. Uh, just as the parables that Jesus told um, are remembered constantly. Um, we know lots of the Psalms and lots of little proverbs that are little tiny stories, um, easily rememberable, um, and we remember those, but we also remember the parables that Jesus told more than almost any other. And those are also the parts of the Bible that are most often rebranded and then redistributed. Um, the parables that Jesus told, such as the um, parable of the sower, the mustard seed, faith like a mustard seed can move mountains, um, all of these stories that he told are the ones that are most remembered. So fiction is so important because of its ability 
to transcend time. We remember these stories generationally. These tales that were told thousands of years ago are just as prevalent, if not more prevalent, now than they ever were before. Just as C.S. Lewis said, mythology is all about rediscovering the past, and that is what stories do. They preserve wisdom. They preserve ideas that existed in the past, and they allow us to remember them, and we can constantly rediscover them. Every new person that reads the Odyssey, the Iliad, these old myths, they rediscover a truth about the past. Every time somebody rereads the parables that Jesus told, they rediscover this ancient wisdom locked away in this amazing format known as a story. I think one of the best examples of this is the TV show known as The Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone was created by Rod Serling, who had failed in other formats to be a successful storyteller because his ideas were censored and they were taken down. Um, because this is the 1959-1960s, and he was preaching on civil rights and many of the things that we now know to be true and moral. Um, and he was telling those stories back then, and he was unable to do so. Um, and this is one of the beauties of storytelling, of fiction, of writing. Uh, you can pass boundaries that were previously set in stone because people don't necessarily realize what it is. That's why you wrap these virtues inside of a story because then it becomes more appealing. And he did this in his TV show known as The Twilight Zone. It is a science fiction landscape and he was able to have these crazy radical ideas of the time that are now commonly accepted. And they were all about um, the negatives and the bad parts of mob rule and about anti-racism, um, not segregating, not being unjust. And he was teaching all of these things. That's what he was preaching. And that was not a very acceptable thing at the time because this is still middle to height of the civil rights movements. And so that wasn't allowed to be in the more mass media of that time, which was more books, newspapers, essays, things like that. TV hadn't really taken off like it is now. Now it's almost the opposite. You can't have those things in TV shows, but you can in books or the things that the rulers, quote unquote, um, them, the them want in movies, you now put in books. But that's not the point. The point is Rod Serling was able to do these things and push these boundaries in the medium of a story, in the medium of this TV show, The Twilight Zone. And The Twilight Zone is still to this day one of the most successful TV shows in existence. Um, it still airs on television. Uh, there's no new episodes, obviously, except for the several reincarnations done. And I have heard there is a TV show also very successful called The Black Mirror that is very similar. I've never seen it, but I have heard it is good, and I do know it is ranked very highly on IMDb's list. Um, anyways, that is not the point. The point is 
stories are so incredibly valuable because of their accessibility and their desirability. Everybody wants to be entertained how much the better when you get these morals and these new virtues that are imbued into the very story itself. That's why a lot of people will go and watch a shallow movie and they don't come away thinking it's very good because they didn't inherit any knowledge, any wisdom from it. Because a good story leaves you questioning when you leave it. It doesn't answer questions. It makes you think about them. It makes you think about, well, I don't know, was that right? Like a great example, the end of the movie The Prestige. You come away thinking, well, I don't know who was good or who was bad in that movie. The guy who I thought was the good guy actually maybe wasn't because he was doing this morally negligible thing. So I don't know how I feel about this anymore, and now I have to think about it. Just as so many of the Greek myths, you don't really know, well, this character's not really acting as he should be acting. He's doing these things that are good, and then he's doing these things that are bad. And through those, we gain these moral virtues. Just as in all of Jesus' parables, we have these characters that it's like, well, I don't really know what the actual moral of this story is, and that's why Jesus always has to explain them. He's telling these stories and then giving you the meaning of them because everybody was left questioning, like, well, what was the point of this story? Because everybody knew there was a point to the story, which is what made them so good and so rememberable. Because every good story has a moral to it. It has a point. And that's why we get so upset with some movies when there's just, I don't agree with this moral because every person has this set of moral codes, this moral rules, these ethics that are imbued into them from the time of their birth and on. And most of those are going to be from what you watch and what you hear, the stories that your parents read to you as a child. And that's why so many parents if they're good parents, that is, I should say, um, they track and they make sure that what you're putting in is good and they set these certain movies on that are going to teach you what is good and what is correct because every person has these set of morals imbued into them. The last thing that, the last point I would like to make is stories are so much more powerful than our statistics. Statistics have no hearts because there's no word. They have no soul, which is why um, there's such a political divide between the left and the right because the left, they have this monopoly on stories. They have this monopoly on these souls. They because a story has a soul, just as a word has a soul, which is why all good stories are made up of these words. Statistics, they are just facts, and they don't mean as much, um, which is why the, the right, this other political ring, doesn't really have much heart to it, and why people get so upset with them, because all they care about are the facts. And facts are important, but they should be shared in a way that actually imbues a meaning, it imbues a soul. The left, if you ask me, this is my opinion, have these ideas of feelings, and they want to care about people, which is a good thing. And the right 
only wants the facts, which is where the divide comes in, because the facts are correct and stories can be wrong because they are so emotional. They are emotionally charged. It's what stories do. They stir your emotions. But facts need to become delivered in a way that is memorable, in a way that carries a soul, that has a story to it. And I think that is why the left and the more liberal parties have these monopolies on stories, because they already care more about um, feelings and emotions and stories, uh, which is why they have Hollywood and all of these mass media producing companies. Anyways, that's not the point I wanted to make. The point I wanted to make is stories carry more meaning than facts. You care more about the one person who died in a tragic car accident after attempting to be resuscitated, and that story gives you goosebumps versus, well, 600,000 Americans died because of COVID. What is the actual more tragedy is the 600,000 people that died, but when you hear a story about a firefighter that leapt into a burning building to save a child, you care more about the life of that one child than the thousands upon thousands of Americans who were dying because of COVID. Um, that is a beautifully illustrated point in the video I have linked in the description um, by Simon Sinek. Um, stories make people care more than statistics. You can spat out all of the statistics that you want, but you won't get people to care about it unless you deliver a story because stories are emotional. They inspire feelings, which is why you see a beautifully inspiring movie like Saving Private Ryan, and now you care about World War II, and you can understand what the people of World War II went under, what they endured, they experienced more, because you witnessed this movie. Even though the movie wasn't entirely accurate, you care more now than you did before because of the beautiful story and the tragedy that was involved in it. Like, Shakespeare's plays inspire such emotion because they get you to invest in these characters, and you learn about love from Romeo and Juliet, and you learn these things that you can't get from statistics. You can say you fell in love, and you can hear someone say, oh yeah, I fell in love, but you don't know what they felt like until they describe the butterflies in their stomach and the way their brain went numb when they were looking at this person or holding their hands and how their heart fluttered and skipped a beat when they kissed the first time. You know what it's like more when you hear that story than just saying, I fell in love. Like, everybody asks for the story of how someone proposed when they say, oh, we're getting married. Oh, well, how did you propose? Well, you want to hear the story because you want to experience what that person experienced through the words and the story that they tell. That is why stories are so important, because they convey a meaning far better than any other media, than any other kind of description. You care more about the individual when they have a story than the multi-thousands from just a statistic. It's mimesis, which is a Greek word for the description of something of information in the form of literature and art. It is, mimesis is a derivative of the word mimicry, or mimicry more accurately comes from mimesis, and it is this idea, this representation 
of feelings, of facts, of aspects of the world, of human actions, and expressing it in the form of literature and art, because that is what people remember the best. So I'm beginning to get repetitive and acting like a broken record here. I think you guys understand what I am trying to say. That literature, that storytelling is so important because of what it conveys, of how it conveys information, and how the stories are what gets stuck in your mind. And the problem that is arising today is that we are telling the wrong stories. We are putting on these pedestals. We are trying to send the wrong morals through the generations. We are now making movies about critical race theory and about all of these communist principles, about this diversity, which in and of itself isn't a bad thing, but the way that it is being represented, the way that the more liberal side, the left, is portraying diversity and what it really is, is not accurate. It is not good. It's not a moral that should be represented in stories. But instead, that is what is being represented. That is what is being told to the generations. It's my generation that is gobbling this stuff up. And they don't even understand. They don't even know that they are taking these morals and investing them into themselves. They are taking these stories and believing in it. And they are consuming this media that is not good, it is not moral. They are forgetting the stories of the myths, the things that inspire bravery and stoicism, and instead, the tales being told now, the new movies that are coming out, they aren't uplifting this idea of fortitude and being strong and self-confidence. Instead, the stories are now validating the wrong things. They're not validating the classical ideas of strength and they're making the masculine characters less important and the very feminine characters or these not really even the feminine but this skewed version of femininity and this more masculinized version of it because that's what they value they're not placing a value on these traditional roles and they're making those the important characters that are saving the day they're not uplifting these good moral righteous virtuous characters in fact they're doing the opposite they're making the villain this character that is now we emphasize with them we empathize with them i'm sorry we see these characters like, oh, well, you know what? That villain actually had a really good point. Instead of making the villain bad, they're like, well, you know what? I kind of understand this idea. Maybe that isn't such a bad thing. Maybe snapping half the world away isn't necessarily a bad thing because he's coming from the right place. Done right, that sort of story can be good, but they don't make Thanos look like this really evil guy. They did originally, but then as the story went on, it's like, well, you know what? Maybe Thanos isn't really all that bad of a guy. And that's not a good thing. It makes for a cool story, but the morals that are taken away from that are not good. When we look at these new Marvel characters, and by the way, I'm going to constantly harp on Marvel because I don't think they make very good movies. Um, when we look at 
these Marvel characters, these new ones that are all millennials, we don't get a sense that, oh, well, this character is very virtuous and he's doing the right thing always. I mean, look at Captain America. Captain America was traditionally, in the original comics, this character that would yell at his soldiers for cursing, and they joked about that in the Marvel movies. Um, but when we look at Captain America, we think of the pinnacle of human existence. He is moral. He is virtuous. He always does the right thing. And he was originally portrayed as that in the movies. And now the new characters that we have are not that. They are these people with these rather menial problems, and they are portraying their characters as not having done anything. They don't, there's no, the traditional hero's journey in the new Marvel movies, uh, such as Shang-Chi, isn't all there. He, I mean, what did Shang-Chi do to deserve those rings that he got at the end of the movie, these super powerful things? He he really didn't do a whole lot. He didn't suffer these great tragedies. In fact, he was actually beaten by his sister, um, who actually went through this suffering, who actually experienced these trials more so than Shang-Chi ever did. He ran away. He was a coward. He abandoned his duty. He left his sister to his cruel father and then returned only when beckoned by the danger. Only then did he actually do anything, and he didn't stand up to his father until the very end of the movie. He just didn't do a whole lot to become this good moral character that we should desire to be like. I don't want to edify him. I don't want to mimic him from the story. And that's where the problem arises in these new movies. They're just not there. The values that should be being instilled are not being instilled in us anymore because of the public opinion of them now. Masculinity is not seen as a good thing. Therefore, the masculine principles are not being shared. Fortitude, having mental strength, having physical strength, um, all of these things aren't being instilled in us, and that is a problem that is going to be with us as long as those are the principles and morals being told in stories. So that was ultimately what I wanted to share with you guys. Morals are conveyed primarily through storytelling, and when those stories aren't telling the right thing, the wrong morals are getting imbued into this new generation. And that is not a good thing. So if you guys found value in what I shared, if you agreed with what I said today, please share this episode. Please share this podcast because I want to continue to be able to tell what I believe to be truths. I want to continue to share these principles and these ideas to as many people as will hear me. So if that is you guys, if you do agree with what I'm saying, go ahead and follow me on Instagram at jcoots03. And from there, you can go to my website and find all of the other platforms that I am on. Um, go ahead and share this episode on whatever social media you guys are on. Leave ratings and reviews on the show because it's helpful. And once again, thank you for joining me, your host, Jonathan Coots, on another episode of Food for Thought.